Exodus chapter 20 is good to be in the Lord's house. We are thankful for this opportunity and hopefully we uh, as a people recognize the privilege that it is to gather together in this place. Um, if anything, the last year has taught us, it should, taught, has, should, it should have taught us that, right? But not only that, we also recognize as we celebrate, as Scott said earlier, as we are commemorate, if you will, Memorial Day and consider the fact that all over the world there are many, many Christians who do not have this freedom, the freedom to gather and assemble together in a place to proclaim the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ freely. And so we praise God for this opportunity and those who have uh, helped to give us this opportunity by giving the greatest sacrifice. And of course, as we look to our passage this morning, what Hopefully we will see, even through these Ten Commandments, even through this verse this morning, we will be able to say at the end, hallelujah, what a Savior we have. And we're thankful for Him as we celebrate. We are in Exodus chapter 20. We're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to get into these next few here. And this morning is the Sixth Commandment. If we can remind you of how we have gotten here we are uh, the israelites have been um in captage and bond bondage and slavery in egypt god has come and delivered them brought them now to mount sinai and gathered them around the mountain and now the lord god has descended upon this mountain in fire and smoke and he begins to speak to the people out of the thunder and as he speaks, it says, verse chapter 20, verse 1, God spoke all these words saying, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God has delivered them and redeemed them. And so now he gives them these 10, if you will, to show them, to demonstrate to them how they are to live in light of their redemption. Not how they are to earn their redemption, not how they are to find their redemption, but how they are to live in light of their redemption. And so you have verse 13 of Exodus chapter 20. And the Lord says, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we consider this. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity already as we have worshiped. We praise you for who you are. You have never failed. You have never lost a battle. You are the one who reigns supreme above and above every other name. Father, we thank you that we this morning can come to this passage and we can see it and what it's going to show us, Father, and what it's going to teach us. We can learn through your spirit, God, of how we are to follow after you. And of course, God, we can learn in just uh, so many ways how we are absolutely dependent upon our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we come this morning and we ask that you exalt the name of Christ through this verse. In his name we pray. Amen. The earliest translations of the sixth commandment have this verse, probably the way you learned it, thou shalt not kill. Probably the way you memorized it or learned it. And, and this is the shortest of the commandments it's the one through here as you read it's it's the shortest of all of them you shall not kill and and really you may not even realize how short it is if you read it in the original hebrew which it was given it's only two words lo ratzak 
simply two words that are given. And if, if you can, just imagine for a moment, which is hard for us to do, I'm sure, but just imagine as the people have heard these commandments given out by the Lord, speaking out of the thunder, he simply says, Lo Ratzak. You can hear him saying this through the thunder. And in many ways, when we come to this passage, when we come to the sixth commandment, this is the one we feel most comfortable with, right? This is the one we feel like, all right, this is going to be an easy Sunday. Every Sunday we've come, and I've had somebody come up to me and say, man, you're preaching right at me this week. Man, you were giving it to us here. And this, but this command, this is the one everybody accepts and realizes this is okay. We're good here. We're good. Anywhere you go in the world, any place you go, whether the Bible is known there or not, people believe that murder is wrong. They believe it. They know it. It's seemingly innate within us, right? We, we have this understanding. They may get upset. I mean, in, in other religions and other places, obviously, they, they don't have the Lord God first. They put other gods before him. They bow down to carved images. They, they don't respect his, his holy name. They, they use it and they dishonor it. They definitely don't rest in him as a Sabbath. And surely, honor your father and mother is just a suggestion. Remember, it's not just a suggestion for you younger ones. And so here, you have this. They, they, they come to this and they get these. and they, We can deal with those. But when it comes to this one, they're like, not this one. We, we believe this one. You shall not murder. And most everyone would say, surely they have kept it. Surely they have kept it. So I believe as we look to this this morning, I think it's important that we understand exactly what the Lord means when he says, you shall not murder. I believe it's vital for us to understand even more clearly today than what this commandment is calling us to do or not do. So, Let's define it, if you will. What does this commandment explicitly forbid? What does the Lord mean when he says, lo ratzak? We want to narrow the definition, if we will, and we'll, looking at scriptures, we'll try to understand this. There are eight different words in Hebrew language for killing. Eight different words used. And remember, the Hebrew language is what the Old Testament was given. And so all the time as we do this, and God has blessed us with faithful translations of his word, every time we understand it, sometimes we don't have the exact meaning we need in translation. And so we need to, treat a, need to just simply understand this. The one chosen here in our passage in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, the one chosen here is never used in Scripture pertaining to the legal system, military executions like corporal punishment or hunting. In other words, therefore to say, thou shalt not kill, as others have pointed out, is not the most precise way to understand this commandment. It's not the most precise way in language for us to understand it. As God's people... We recognize that there are some situations where taking life is justified. We see it in God's Word. In situations of self-defense, as Exodus 22 says, when someone comes into your house in the dark and seeks to take your stuff and destroy your family, it's justified in this. Situations of capital punishment, especially, and hear me when I say this, capital punishment where there is obvious and clear guilt. The scripture says this is justified in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. We'll come back to that verse. In issues of war, 
where war is completely necessary, we see this as justified in Scripture. Romans 13 says that this is the power that God gives the government. God establishes government and he gives them this government to determine these things. And there are situations that we see throughout Scripture and even in our world where war even is justified to protect the greater good. And so we see in issues of justice, in issues of protection here through government responsibility that the Lord has given, there are times that Christians have always understood that these types of things are warranted. These types of killings, if you will, are warranted. So what this commandment forbids is not killing. And all the hunters in the room, hopefully you go, shoo, thank God. What this commandment forbids is not just simply killing but this commandment forbids the unlawful killing of a human being or as one says the unjust taking of a legally innocent life so i think the better understanding as we have in the text this morning in the english standard version that i use the better understanding is you shall not murder It's the better translation than just simply thou shalt not kill because it speaks specifically to the unlawful killing of a human being or the unjust taking of a legally innocent life. But the question then comes, and even in saying this, the question comes for us, why does God allow some form of killing at all? Why is this allowed? The understanding here, I think, from this passage and what the Lord is teaching us even through this is that the goal for us should never be the destruction of human life, but its preservation. The goal should never be the destruction of it, but the preservation of it. And the allowances that are given in the text for these situations in justice and, 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 and government-sanctioned war that is right to, to end or for the greater good, in these situations, these allowances are for the purpose of preserving life, not ultimately taking life. There must be a deterrence from anyone that would take a life. We must protect it, in other words. Consider then Genesis 9-6. I mentioned it earlier. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. This is a verse for capital punishment, if you will. But continue in that verse and see what it says. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has created man. In other words, why is this the case? If you're going to take the life of one... If you're going to take the life of one human being, then your life must be taken as well. Why? To protect the fact that we don't want you taking any more lives. All human beings are created in the image of God, and so we fight for the life of all of them. We fight for the life of all of them. Yet, as many have noted, we in America sometimes have to realize, as great as we have it in so many ways, we've become a culture of death even. A culture of death where lives are not protected that must be protected. Even the lives that need to be protected the most, like the lives of the unborn. This past week I was just overwhelmed thinking and considering a website that keeps up with abortions in our country and it has a real-time clock going and the number just continually goes up. And just after a minute how overwhelmed I was of watching this. We as Christians believe that we must fight for those lives. 
We as Christians believe we must fight for the lives of not just the unborn, but those who are also older and sick in our, in our culture and our place, and we care for them and we watch over them. And not, in just, not just fighting for their life, but fighting for their quality of life, giving them the best care, giving them the best opportunities, giving them everything we can. Why? Because every life is precious. And what we recognize is it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the socioeconomic status that you live in or dwell in. It doesn't matter where you're from or what place you have been raised. Every single life is made in the image of God. And every single life must be fought for. Must be fought for. No person is beneath another. As one theologian said, our neighbor, who we've been called to love, bears the image of God. To use him, abuse or misuse him, is to do violence to the person of God who images himself in every human soul. We must see and understand this. And because we see and understand this then, because we recognize, I think, that the point of the sixth commandment is not just that we shouldn't kill, but that we should fight for life, this becomes what we are as believers. We are those fighting for life. In a culture that is praising violence and death, we must become the ones who praise life and bring it there through the Lord God Almighty. Behind the prohibition to not murder is the call to fight for life. Life is given to us for a reason. Just consider your own life. The very fact that you're breathing right now is a gift. Go ahead and I'll give you a moment and pause. Cause yourself to breathe. Go ahead. Y'all see how it worked? It's perfect. You didn't have to do much work. It just came. Let me take it even a step further. Go ahead and cause your heart to beat. Make your heart beat today. We recognize that the breath we have in our lungs and the heart that is beating within us, every heartbeat and every breath is a gift from God to us. And the scripture teaches us these things, that our steps are marked by him, our breath is marked by him, our life is marked by him, and everything is in his hands. So if every breath has been given to us by God, then we are to use it to glorify his name. We're to use every heartbeat, every second of life to bring glory and honor to his name. And that's why we fight for life, because the very purpose of life is to honor and glorify God. Friends, just think about this and understand it. You have a purpose. Your purpose in life is to glorify and bring honor to God, and that's what he's given you breath for, and that's what he's causing your heart to beat for. As the psalmist say, says, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Not dying, but life. And when I live, I'm going to praise his name. I'm going to count all the good things he has done. Or similarly, consider the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1. Verse 21, this great passage, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oftentimes I say that, and even as I said it in, I emphasize that word die. But really, what that passage is all about is not death, but life. Life, everlasting life. All that belongs to Christ, because what Paul says is this, that if I die, it will be better. Why? Because when he dies in Christ, he lives, and he goes on to be with him. In fact, the next line says, for to die would be far better to go on and be with Christ, right? But as long as he lives, he's going to live for his glory. And so every bit of life and death belongs to Christ in following after him. It's all his. We are in his sovereign hand. We are alive today because God wants us alive right now. 
And ultimately, we put that life in his hands and seek to fight for it, to fight to bring glory and honor for him, to fight for his name in all things, all of life, both here and after. The life that is now and the life that is to come belongs to God. And this, I believe this, is the basis of this command. This is the heart behind it. Not just you shall not murder, but you shall fight for life and you shall fight for the glory of the name of the Lord. How can you murder others whenever they are called to bring glory and honor to the Lord? In other words, life is not for us to do with it whatever we like. We are not God. We're not God. Life is not ours to do with it how we wish or whatever we like. Is God's. He has given it to us. He has put it within us, and we are to use it for his glory and for his name. God is to determine what shall be done with life in the womb and all the way to the tomb. All life is God's, and all life brings glory to him. And when you murder, you rob, God's, uh, rob God of his glory. And you do the very opposite of what God has done. You see, God came and created Adam and Eve in the garden, and it was good, right? And there they were in the garden. The Lord had given and provided everything they need, but then death entered in. And how did death come in? But sin. You see, death and sin were not originally in God's ultimate plan here. That's not the way it was go. It would be that they would love him and serve him. Now we know God is in control of all things, but that death and sin entered in, and so now God has dealt with it. And how does he deal with it? Through sending his son to die so we can have life. Which turns us then to our last part of this. God is to determine what shall be done with life from the womb all the way to the tomb. So the command in its essence is for us to not just kill, not kill, but to fight for life. When we think about the commandments, they have this nature to them. There is the outside of the commandment, if you will, or the outward activities, what others see, what we do. And though it's been, been there all along, we really uh, start to see that in the second part of the commandments. You turn here on how we treat our neighbors. We must see then that in treating our neighbors, thou shalt not murder, you shall not murder. Now we think about not just the outward actions, but also our inward actions. And what many have said, we must avoid murder of the heart. We fight for life, and we avoid murder of the heart. Each command covers not only the outward actions, but also the inward attitudes that we have. And what we find is instead of being one of the easiest commands to keep, what we find here is this command that is given to us, instead of being one of the easiest ones for us, and we come in and we cruise, and I'm sure everyone felt comfortable here today because we can come into this, and Josh has just come up and started talking about murder and everything else, and I'm good, I'm safe. If you're not, we can talk about it later. I'm good, and I'm safe. We're talking about it, I'm fine. But oftentimes we're a lot like the rich young ruler. When the comes to the Lord and the Lord says, keep the commandments. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. And what does the ruler say? All these I've kept. All these I've kept. And we come into this passage and we think this is the easy one, right? You shall not murder. I'm safe here. But like the rest of the commandments, Jesus who fulfills the law also transforms it. 
Jesus who fulfills it also transforms it and doesn't just look at the outward actions, but also at the inward heart and who we are. And I want you to know that what when God forbids murder, he's forbidding the root of murder as well. Not just the outward action, but what happens in the heart. Things such as envy, hatred, revenge, and anger. In fact, God considers all these to be murder. If we can prove this, we look to his passage in Matthew chapter 5. And you can go ahead. It's safe to do this. You can file this in statements I wish Jesus hadn't said. You know what I'm saying? That file. Where have you had that? Passages I wish Jesus hadn't said. Because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to make this clear, I believe. When Jesus has a sermon on the mount, gathered with his people again at the mountain, and God is speaking through his glory, through his son, now he gives the Beatitudes. He tells them, you are salt and light. So what does it mean to be salt and light? He's going to fill them in on that. He says, I've come to fulfill the law, and so let's talk about the law, if you will. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. You have it understood this way. You have understood it in this way. You've known what it was said. You've heard of the commandment. You've understood it all along as this. You've heard it said this way. Do not, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, so Jesus is going to transform this and take it deeper, not just to the outward actions, but to the motivations of the heart. You have heard it was said this way, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus takes this commandment when everybody's skirting through thinking, I've got this one on my own, and then he dives straight into the very heart of the matter, if you will. John, the apostle who heard Jesus teach on this, takes this even further in 1 John 3.15 and states it very clearly. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know no murderers have no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Do y'all hear the first part of this? Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. This is right in line with what Jesus says. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Murders will be liable. Anger and hatred to your brother will be liable. So Jesus dives into the very heart. And what he's wanting to show is that the sixth commandment not only prohibits the violent acts of murder, but it also, as one says, prohibits the violent emotions of the heart. It stops us in our tracks to say, it's not just in the outward that comes out, it's where is your heart in this? Where is your heart on these things? As one has said, you and I can be 100% murder-free, but still face the wrath of God if our life is marked by anger, bitterness, and hatred. Why? Why does God forbid this so much? Why does God despise these things and say hatred and anger and bitterness, these things you're liable to judgment for as well? Why does Jesus take this outward action and dive it straight into our heart? It's for this very reason. It's because it does reflect our heart. 
Consider the heart, if you will. As Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful and most wicked above every other thing. Let me go ahead and remind you, if you haven't heard this, because it slips into our vocabulary all the time, but follow your heart is not a Christian example. Because we as believers recognize it's out out of the wickedness of our heart that all sinfulness and deceitfulness come. In fact, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says it's not what goes into a body that makes you weak. It's what comes out of the heart. And out of the heart becomes anger and hatred and murder. Jesus lifts all of them out. He says it's out of this heart. So what happens to us as believers is that our wicked, dark hearts of stone, the scripture says in Jeremiah, are taken out by the Spirit and replaced with a heart of flesh, one that is moldable and shapeable to be following after the Lord. So what we say is that we follow after God's word and his spirit through the changing of our lives and our hearts. And so God's word becomes a sample of what we follow. And so if hatred and anger are still existing in your heart, then it does not reflect a heart that has been changed by God. If hatred and anger and bitterness still exist in your heart, then it does not reflect the heart that has been changed by the one who is the great physician who gives us life and life eternal. So watch your heart. In fact, if you read James chapter 4, you see this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? You want to know? He's got it. Here it is. Is it not this that your passions, or you can even read there, your hearts are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, he says. And so in other words, you're fighting for your heart. Your heart is longing after these things, and you're fighting with one another. Why? Because of your own heart and its own anger and deceitfulness that builds up within it. So Jesus says, it's not just you shall not murder outward action. It's what's going on in your heart right now. And what's dangerous is not just that outward action. What's dangerous are those emotions in your heart that can lead to that outward action. And even if they never do, we must put those things to death, Jesus is saying. Or they will put you to death. Why does God forbid this in this way? Because it reflects a heart that has been changed by God. Also, it affects our worship. Back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, if you're like this, if you've got anger against someone, you're liable to judgment. You say, you fool, you're liable to the, the hell of fire. So if you are offering a gift, in verse 23, at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Turn, come to terms quickly, he says. In other words, if you're coming to worship the Lord and someone has something against you, you must seek after reconciliation with them. But notice what Jesus says. He comes at this and says, if someone's got something against you, then you must go and seek reconciliation. But how much more so is it if you've got something against someone else? You must go and make it right because you can't even bring it to worship. Be reconciled in these things. It affects our relationships. It affects our relationships in so many ways. You're looking at me probably now and you're thinking, Pastor, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know the pain and anger these people have caused in my life. And so therefore my anger is not just unfounded. It's not just conjured up on my own. And I would say to you this morning, I understand. I understand it's difficult 
This is why we say we file these in the things we wish Jesus hadn't said, right? But just recognize, anytime we come to terms with our own sin, it's not going to be easy. And anytime the Lord does work in our own hearts, it is not simple. But let me remind you of this. That whatever anyone has done to you in this world, it is not worse than what you have done to Christ. Whatever anyone has offered up, whatever anyone has done to you, it is not worse than what you have done to Christ through your sin, shunning His glory in His name. Whatever anyone has done to you is not worse than what you have done to Christ. And Christ Jesus has died for you. And in this, He has displayed love so great, so amazing, so divine. It demands our soul, our life, our all. This is why John 3.16 is so great for us, right? For God so loved the unlovable that he gave his only son that whoever believes shall have life. You see, these commandments are given to us for a reason. These commandments are given to us, as Paul says, as a schoolmaster, if you will, to teach us something. What these commandments teach us is that we are absolutely desperate for someone to save us. Because when you go down the list, you realize in many ways, and Josh Powell's preaching to Josh Powell, you go down the list, you realize we have broken each and every one of these. And while, yes, my outward action has never murdered, there has been hatred in my heart. And while, yes, my outward actions have never murdered, there has been slander and there has been anger that is unrighteous in my life. And so what this passage teaches me, just like all the other commandments, is that I am desperate for one to come and save me and redeem me from my sin that has mounted up over and over again and only charges me to death. I'm desperate for one to bring me life. And the good news is, we have one who has. The good news is, we have one who has. John Wesley, when he came to America the first time, was not a believer. He says this. In fact, he got saved on the boat going back to England. But he came to preach anyway. Thought it was what he was supposed to do. When he came to Georgia to preach, he began to preach. But he said, all I knew was the law. All I knew was the law. So he preached, and he preached the law. He preached, and he preached that you're a sinner. He preached, and he preached that you're going to hell. And he preached, and he preached that you're, going to, you're, going, you're a sinner that's going to hell, and you've broken all of these commandments. And so much so that John Wesley said, I barely escaped with my life because they despised me for it. I don't want you to despise me this morning. I don't want you to look at this passage and have no hope but only have despair i don't want you to have that now because not only do we have god's law that teaches us that we are sinners desperate for the lord but we also have his grace that teaches us that in our sinfulness god has come through his son jesus christ to die in our place and take our sin our anger our hatred he's taken it all and there on the cross he crushed it to death he took the wrath that was deserved for us the death that we deserved in our place for us so that when we come to the law what we celebrate here now is not the law itself but we celebrate the grace that surrounds it through jesus christ our lord Jesus took the cup of wrath that belonged to me and paid it every last penny 
Notice what Jesus says. If you have hatred in your heart, if you have anger in your heart against another, it says down in verse 26, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. I'm telling you today of the one who's paid the last penny for you. For Jesus took your sin and crushed it. And we thought we were going to get out easy today, I know. But you need to understand that when we look to God's Word and especially His law, it's going to teach every single one of us. Josh Powell included, preaching to me first. It's going to teach every single one of us that we are sinners. But bearing the shame of our sin and scoffing rude of the brothers, right? Bearing shame and scoffing room. Y'all know this song, right? Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place. Condemned he stood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So what we proclaim from this pulpit is not simply you're a sinner that deserves death. What we proclaim from this pulpit is you're one who has the great and glorious opportunity and privilege to hear of Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, who gives life. And God, the one who holds life and death in his hands, who had every reason to take ours because of our sin, who had every reason to pour the judgment out on us that we rightfully deserved, he had every reason to take our life, but he gave us his instead. And if you're prone to anger, and your heart is bitter this morning, and resentment resides there, you need to know if you have murder in your own heart towards someone, Jesus died for that sin this morning. And he can forgive you, and you can release it. Repent and turn from it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and release it. You need it no more. For consider who you once were, dead and lost in your sins, deserving wrath, as Ephesians 2 says. But now know who you are because of Christ. You have life. And so if he has forgiven you by all means, what does the Scripture teach us? We can forgive others. So you shall not murder, but you should fight for life. And you should be salt and light in a world that's a culture of death, Jesus says. Jesus tells us when we look at our enemies, we are to love them. And so may it be our desire as God's people to love, not to kill, but to bring life, not death all for the glory and name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have that bitterness and hatred in your heart, even today, Jesus paid for it. Look to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that I believe in spite of difficult passages in the text that we look to, God, you work. In spite of passages, Father, that maybe make us uncomfortable, there's where you work. And so, Father, I pray that you're working even now through the power of your Spirit to mold and shape our hearts, to mold us into the people you would have us to be and to cause us to love, Father. Fight for life. And as we fight for life, we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ because we know that only in Christ life is given. And so, Father, we proclaim that this morning. 
So may someone here, Father, that is dealing with these deep issues in their hearts, God, may they turn to you. May they see the forgiveness of Jesus. May they see the power of the cross and know that he paid it all for them. So Father, help us now. By your grace and for your glory to live as your people, pursuing after life, not death. All for your name. This morning, if that's you, maybe that's in your heart, we ask you to turn to Christ. I'll be standing here at the front. Others would love to receive you and speak to you about these things as we seek to honor the Lord in all that we are. Let's stand together and pray.